Hello, and welcome back to the second edition of Day-to-Day Bullshit, your favorite political podcast where I get to rant by myself without my co-host, David, who I miss dearly. Um, So yeah, I wanted to talk today briefly about what about us? And the us stands for the United States and specifically the people of the United States. And I know it sounded like I was setting up a sermon by giving you a title, but I watched some of the debate last night with the GOP, and it really made me think how irrelevant the well-being of the American people are in comparison to corporations and to the interests of the classes that the, the upper class that they represent. I think one of the most frustrating things that has happened in the last 40 to 50 years is the intentional misinformation camp disinformation campaign that the American people think that they don't deserve nice things because we can't afford it. When in reality, money is not the issue. The real resources are the issue. But all last night, all I heard was, and all this reckless spending and this reckless spending and reckless spending. And I think what bothers me is that most people don't realize that one, that is not the reason for the inflation. When the majority of the inflation came from corporate greed, but to people unaware of that, it's an easy sell because most people have an experience in their day-to-day life of debt issues and things like that. But what I find so insidious is that these politicians recognize that by spending less when the economy needs more, they are actually depriving the American people of the basic goods they deserve while funneling more and more money to the top 1%. And so I wanted to take a moment to really talk about my issues, I think, with both the Democratic and the Republican Party. Now, this could be a three-hour episode by itself. I won't do that, but I'll just touch on some of my current frustrations. So after watching the debate, I had to admit that the Republicans make it very easy for the Democrats to do the absolute and utter bare minimum. Watching that debate was like living in a time warp. Like if you had come on and said, and on tonight's and the next musical guest on SNL, I would have believed it because nothing they said was touched with, was rooted in reality. Their solutions were laughable. They did not present any policies that would actually manifest in benefiting the American people. They just talked about culture wars, which unfortunately, I don't really like that phrase because oftentimes it's just talking about stuff that to me, a culture war is M&Ms or Skittles, not whether or not people in the transgender community have rights, not whether or not people are deserving of, immigrants are deserving of humane treatment. That's not a culture war. Those are actual fundamental human rights issues, but I digress. So hearing them speak, there was so much agreement and unfortunately it was agreement on politics that I view to be abhorrent And so it was kind of like, well, what was the purpose of this? Meanwhile, Donald, Donald Duck, as uh, Chris Christie called him, cringe, he is out there talking to getting invited by these wealthy people. I can't remember. I think it was a union buster or something. It was something wild. Essentially, he was not talking to the UAW workers. He was talking to a group of people that weren't on strike. Sadly, he's still going to get all the praise 
for going out there and doing the photo op. And then you have Biden, who credit being given, he did show up, but it's not like he showed up of his own volition. He knew that if he didn't show up again and Trump did, it would make him look bad. And so I remember watching a speech from ALC when she was there and it reminded me, I posted it on Twitter. I said, what's crazy is at her best, she really is a great politician. Hearing her speech and how she phrased everything, I was like, wow, this was really powerful. But the problem is, is the distance between her rhetoric and her actions is vast. I've always said, and this is no disrespect to her because I think all Everyone has their skill set. I've always felt that AOC's greatest skill set was her magnetism, her charisma, her ability to attract people to to her and present a message rhetorically in a way that can get people galvanized. I've never I haven't necessarily viewed her as the best legislator. I think that could be reserved for like Rashida Tlaib, um, for example. However, Where I digress from AOC's tactic is that instead of using that to challenge the system and to call out the inadequacies of the proposals being given by the Democratic Party, given the need of the moment, she often chooses to either be silent, to solely focus on the Republicans, or to actually worse parrot the talking points that a leftist should be speaking against. And I think that she doesn't real. I couldn't imagine being her. There is a certain level of sympathy. I couldn't imagine waking up every day to death threats. I couldn't imagine literally just getting elected out of nowhere and for no reason of your own doing, being thrust into a media system where you are one of the most polarizing figures at like, what, 27, 28. I, I empathize with that. However, you do have a job and you have a very strong following. You can get people to donate on the drop of a dime. And with that comes the responsibility to, yes, push through and fight, even when it's uncomfortable. And recognizing that there are a slew of people, there's a movement behind you that will actually be there to back you up when everybody else is pressing against you and you're getting that blowback. But I feel like she's realized that despite her actions in the past, she's garnered no power for it. In many ways, that's how the democratic system is set up in Congress in comparison to the Republican in terms of how you elevate or get certain chair positions. It is a popularity contest in the Democratic Party. And on a human level, on a you know interpersonal level, I get that. However, you haven't gotten it despite all these actions. So at this point, I can't really say that it's because you were progressive. It just might be that dude, he's just not that into you, as the movie said. So I think it's time for her to switch up her tactic. And I hope that her reception at this speech reminds her of where her true strengths and talents lie. Um, So for me, the Democratic Party They're the type of people who will be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, somebody call the ambulance, call the ambulance. This person, this person, they just broke their leg. And then they put a Band-Aid on it. And you're like, but what is this Band-Aid for? Better yet, they'll call the ambulance. They won't wait for the ambulance. They won't make sure that you get there safely. 
They won't even make sure that it gets paid for. They'll just simply call it for you. The Republicans, they'll walk by you like you didn't do anything and tell you to pull yourself up by your by your good leg. So while I hear that, the Republican Party is just nonchalant with their authoritarian and honestly quite diabolical desire to oppress the working class people, both in rhetoric and in policy. And I know people, the whole hot topic debate now is about, you know, ooh, the hierarchy of who's worse, the Democrats or Republicans. And I'm like, I feel like too often leftists oversimplify it and make it reductive, like, well, there's no difference and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, to me, that lacks the nuance necessary. But what I can agree with is that there's not enough of a difference between the two parties because the Republicans, the Democrats strive to be diet Republicans, meaning that Republicans have to be extreme Republicans, like Coke Zero versus Coke max with all the caffeine in it. And it's really depressing because at the end of the day, neither one of these are serving the American people. And even when I think about this government shutdown and what is is being hinged over, this is stuff that does not, shutting the government down does not impact these people whatsoever. But it has an immense downstream effect on people who are innocent casualties in a war of stupidity. And I find myself, and I said, you know, they can have a, a unanimous vote about a dress code because they're over John Fetterman and Kirsten Cinema. That is just like, oh my God, get to the voting. But you can't vote to fund health care because, ooh, that would give Biden a win or, ooh, we're spending too much money. But you send money, you give money back to these people. For us, for you to complain about how much money you we don't have as Republicans, you give every tax break known to mankind, knowing that these tax breaks are helping the people who actually have the money to quote unquote fund the programs that you say are too expensive to fund. Now, anybody that knows me, that whole idea of funding is already malarkey to quote the man himself because the government is a sovereign currency. We can fund whatever we want to. We can spend first and then tax later. We don't have to tax first to get the money. That's a whole different concept. Check out Stephanie Kelton's The Deficit Myth. There's plenty of great people who study that and speak on it. But at the end of the day, Amer the American people have been sold a new version of the American dream, which I would actually classify as the American nightmare. And that is the idea that you will never own a home. You'll never be able to start a business. You'll never be able to pay for your education. You'll never be able to trust your neighbors unless you find a way to be that 1% that squeezes success out of an oppressive system. We have now made success the exception and not the norm. The norm is now this no dulling feeling that something is wrong, but there's nothing we can do about it. And I pray and I hope that one day and one day soon, we can have a politics, a positive politics, where we actually are voting for things that get us excited, that unify us as a country, and not just because we want to quote unquote vote for the lesser evil, because evil is still evil. And I don't begrudge anybody. I think it's silly to begrudge people for voting for Democrats, because at the end of the day, not you have it depends on your conscience. Some people are not comfortable. There is an inherent level of suffering 
that will happen with voting in either party. But for many, and I would t- lean to agree, there's a substantially more d- uh, diabolical level of suffering when electing the GOP, especially given their announced rhetoric. Like they're not hiding the pain that they come to offer. So it's like, can I really begrudge somebody for not wanting that to happen? No. What I've always said, and I think, you know, given that many of my friends voting third party are looking to access 5% opposed to winning, which I mean, if you know, Cornell won, great, but um, it's no secret I'm a Marianne supporter as well, but I love Dr. West. Um, For me, we could be strategic about both. We could be in a primary voting for Marianne Williamson, which then increases the likelihood of getting a progressive in the office because now two out of the three or four of the libertarians run somebody are progressive. Then we can have a conversation about, hey, what route should we take? What should we do so we can actually win? But at the same time of having a Marianne on the ballot to win, we could also be strategic. Hey, if you live in a strongly deep red state, let's bring out the people to vote for Dr. Cornell West. Or, hey, let's take a certain subset of people in blue states that, hey, we know we need just this amount of people to win the presidency for this four years, but we do just enough people from these states and blue states that we can actually get to the 5%. And then that makes us a viable party. And meanwhile, Marianne has spoken openly about wanting to be a a one-term president because she wants to be able to govern that way. And then once it's done, you have 5% as the Green Party, then you can usher in a new candidate or the same candidate in 2028 and do a win. But by not doing, by seeing it as a zero-sum game, I feel like we need, we kneecap ourselves because then we pray we get the 5% on one end. And then we also have to pray that we can mitigate the destruction that's going to happen if the Republicans get par- get power again for the next four years. Yeah, we lived through a Trump presidency, but I'd like to think we all ex- we all saw that it was still not the best of times. It was arguably the worst of times, especially on a in a visceral and you know my, and a materially it had varying degrees depending on who you were. But I think an overall culture and level of unity there was it wasn't there anymore. And not that everything was rainbows and butterflies under Obama, because it wasn't. But there was a noticeable shift in our interactions and our basic humanity as a country once Trump got into office, which I believe was simply the uncovering of a geyser that had been boiling under the surface, but nobody thought would be unleashed. And now it's not just about putting that back in the underground. It's about drying that that well up because now we have to deliver for the for the American people. Listen, class economic politics are not going to change everything. People had lots of money back in the day and were still racist as heck, misogynist as heck, homophobic as heck, all the hecks. However, I'm sure most people would agree I'd rather be dealing with racism while I can also pay my rent. I'd rather be dealing with homophobia while I have a home. Don't like it, and we can address that, but that gets into cognitive shifts. That gets into mindset change. That's an entirely different thing that requires, you can't legislate out hate. 
you can simply provide a legal barrier and repercussions for it, which hopefully will deter it. But you can't eradicate it simply through policy. That is something that's going to require media, you know, culture, the arts, et cetera, to foster a community along with legislation to create the circumstances with which people don't even see that as a viable way of life anymore. And in closing, I would like to think when it comes to us, aka the United States, we need to re-identify what it means to be American and what the American dream looks like for the 21st century. I am tired of being beholden to people who wore these dusty wigs and didn't actually see all the people that we now view as Americans as Americans, I'm tired of being beholden to their ideology. Yes, there are some great aspirational principles in the Declaration of Independence, so great that they didn't live up to them. But we have to look at the modern world we live in and what makes sense. Because at the end of the day, if they just because they didn't put universal health care in the Constitution doesn't mean we don't deserve universal health care. Just because they didn't put, you know, LGBTQ through Z people deserve equality doesn't mean they don't deserve equality. And I think it's time that we stop thinking about the old way of politics and envision what is the new way of politics. How do we ensure that in the richest country in the world, people can look at the quality of our lives and see it without it having to be said? So with that, I thank you for listening to my rant always a pleasure. Don't forget, you can support Call Me Limbo at Call Me Limbo Pod on Patreon, Venmo, Cash App, Twitter, Instagram, maybe Threads, all the fun things. And we really want to just continue to bring you guys a great project. So yeah, if you can support us financially, it really, really means a lot. Um, we're getting ready to do some more things to help get the word out there. But yeah, you guys are amazing. And don't forget, never deal with BS when you could deal with us. That was terrible. Terrible. Don't, that was terrible. I'm going to say it again now. And remember, never deal with BS when you can just deal with us. Solidarity.